Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. I'm alive. I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about 1977. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. Shout-outs going out to the patrons. Head on over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac for all your paranormal almanac needs. Shout-outs to Anne, Stephen, Jane Ann, Jennifer, Heather G, Zuzus, What's It, Paula, Rick, Nico, Share and the Mouse, Andrew M, Paul, Tortuga, Hannah Boo, Mike from Jersey, Tuesday, Jay Bizzle, Andy, Tracy, Virginia Mailman, Tony, Jason, Vicky Crow, Clay Buzz, Tom Proletariat, Pro, Proletariat, oh, Lobito Works, Glacier Main, Isabel, Jen Jen, Stacy, Amber, Tracy, Sandy, Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Magic Robot, Webcomic, Sandy, Paige, Cow, Sean, Andrew, Scott, Andrea, Devin, Melody, Vicky, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Roger, Alicia, Becca, Jake, and the Beasties, Elizabeth, Voidtech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Ricardo, Ian, Alexander, George, Seth, Zozo the Demon, Hayden, Cindy, Ashley, Carrie, Robin, Will, Lauren Mangano, Russell, April, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Stacy, Jerry, Scoston, Lindsay, Han, hey, howdy, hi, and happy holidays, Megan, Jeff, T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe Wong, Lawrence, Lauren, the Lawrence Strong, hey, howdy, hi, Veronica, Autumn, J. Mark, Manning, Carolyn, Martin, Jaden, and Ashy, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson. Hope you feel better. Dan, Laura Pitts, and GamerFan with two special shout-outs going out to Joe Teague and to Stitch. Very special one to Joe Teague this week. So, yeah, um, COVID sucks. Let me tell you that. Yeah, I got COVID. Um, it happened. I was boosted and all that stuff, and it still just kicked my ass at first, I didn't think it was COVID. I wasn't testing positive. I wasn't testing positive. And then all of a sudden, boom. Yep, it was definitely, definitely COVID. Uh, in fact, I'm still apparently testing positive. So, um, but I'm I'm over everything. I feel much, much better, much better. Um, but it sucked. It sucked really bad. Make sure, you know, like do what you want to do. You can ignore me if you want to. I don't really care anymore at this point. But uh, listen to science. Go get vaccinated. Keep an eye on yourself. Social distance, wear a mask. This shit ain't over. I don't know how many other ways I can say it. It was really bad. It sucked. I had it. I did not like it. I'm glad I was vaccinated and boosted and all that because, boy, it could have been bad. I mean, it was bad. It could have been worse. I had a, for those who don't have any kind of social media, I know there's a lot of you that don't follow any social media. And you know what? Good on you. Um, on Sunday the 12th, I think it was. I don't remember. It's time has no meaning anymore. Um, I had 104.6 degree fever. And uh, in case you don't know, because I didn't realize this wasn't really kind of, I guess I kind of knew, but not really. But when I when I showed that to my friend from England, she was like, oh, oh okay, and what is it supposed to be? That's bad. That's like really bad. It's supposed to be like 98.6. Mine was 104.6. They say anything over 102, you should probably go to, you know, a hospital because you're just burning through brain cells at that point. I'm just, you know, soft boiling egg my 
soft boiled egging my head, my brain. See, this is what happens. Then 104.6. You can't think of uh, analogies. Um, yeah, no, it was really bad. But thankfully, thanks to everybody that reached out. Thanks for everybody that was saying, like, you know, don't worry about the episode, just get better. I got better. I'm here. I'm good. I'm a little winded that I'll, I'll, I'm not going to lie. The, the shout outs did win to me. <clears throat> so I'm not 100%, obviously, but I'm much, much better. I feel much, much better. All righty, let's get right on into, how do I do this again? Paranormal news. Strange things happen every day. Keep a watch out of your new way. That's just the way the universe moves, but now it's time for That's right. Paranormal news time. A little rusty. Like I said, I'm going to be a little bit winded, not 100% perfect on the voice, but uh, oh, you should have heard me last week. It would have, it, it started being like, you know, raspy and then it got like really deep, almost to like, you know, like, would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. Like that kind of deep. And then, um, then I just lost my voice completely. So this is about as good as it's going to get, I think, for a little while. But the first story in paranormal news, boy claims he's reincarnated as he has eerily perfect memory of being a Hollywood actor. A young boy is claimed to be the reincarnation of a Hollywood actor who died nearly 60 years ago. You can see the boy elaborating on the spooky claims below. All right, well, let's do that. I'm sure there's going to be an ad. I'm going to bet money there's going to be an ad. So I'm going to mute it because no free ads on Paranormal Almanac. His name is Ryan Hammond from Oklahoma. Made this claim in 2015 when he was 10 years old. Here we go. He remembers things he couldn't possibly from a time long before he was born. That's according to his mom. She turned to experts of the mind for some answers. NBC's Cynthia McFadden tonight with the incredible story of what they found. It's not unusual for little boys to have vivid imaginations. That's true. But Ryan's stories were legendary. Legend. He said, Mom, I have something I need to tell you. I think I used to be somebody else. And he started just telling me these stories about how he had lived in Hollywood. His stories were so detailed. It just wasn't like a child that could have made it up. Ryan talked about dancing on Broadway, That's working cool. for an agency, traveling the world, being married five times. He even said the street he lived on had the word rock in it. And it would be, my last room is grander. I want to go back to my swimming pool. But things got really strange when they picked up a book about the golden age of Hollywood. She turns to a page, and I say, that's me. That's how, who I was. That's me. Yeah. But the man in the picture wasn't even a major star, just an unnamed extra with hey, no like lines me. in an old Mae West film. That's when Ryan's mother turned to this man, Dr. Jim Tucker, a child psychiatrist at the University of Virginia. Right, For 50 years, oh, the prestigious school has collected more than 2,500 cases of children claiming past lives. And your conclusion after 15 years is what? These cases demand an explanation that we can't just write them off. He's written about them in his book, Return to Life. I've actually Have talked about that before. Have you ever given much thought to this whole idea of reincarnation? No, ma'am. I grew up in a Baptist church. Yeah, all right. They're, they're, they're going too slow. Uh, he said he even remembered how he died in the previous life. His, he said his heart exploded and then going towards the light. He was born in 2004. He believes he was Marty Martin in a past life. Martin was an extra who later became a successful Tinseltown agent. He lived a life of luxury in New York as he wed four times and took holidays in Paris. 
Uh, Martin passed away in 1964 from a brain hemorrhage at the age of 61, 40 years before he was allegedly reborn as this kid. I think it's cool. I love those kinds of stories. Um, I know it's from technically from 2015, but there was a new story about it. So I wanted to make sure I, I posted about it or at least told you guys about it. Cause I, like I said, I love these kinds of reincarnation stories. Hold on one second. All righty, up next in paranormal news, mysterious darting lights in Wisconsin raise speculation of UFO sightings, according to a report in the New York Post. It was actually posted everywhere. This is just one of the many places. Rum, be good. Several onlookers reportedly witnessed bright, unexplained lights dart across skies in rural Wisconsin, leading some to question whether the illuminations were unidentified flying objects. So it shows a white glow travel across the sky quickly uh, over farmland near West Bend and Fredonia. Videos taken earlier this month captured the obstacle from different locations. And let's see, Kimberly, one of the people who took the footage, said that she was driving home with her husband around 10.45 p.m. on December 1st. They were in West Bend when all of a sudden we saw what looked like to be a white owl swoop from the upper right hand of the trees down in front of the headlights and up to the left. They decided it wasn't an owl after illuminating after the illuminated object swooped in front of them another three times, but they don't know what they saw. So it's not a typical UFO sighting. Now there is a photo of it or footage of it, and it just looks like spotlights in the sky, kind of like bouncing around and dancing, but uh, I don't know what to make of it. So yeah, weird UFO, no idea. All righty, up next in paranormal news. Loch Ness Monster spotted just seven times this year as Nessie experts are tightening the rules. I talked about this one kind of earlier as well, that they're going to start tightening the rules for actual official Nessie sightings just to kind of screw it to Ian O'Fagan because he keeps spotting them, but, uh, or spotting Nessie, I should say. But they said that uh, seven times because of this tightening up the criteria over webcam sightings, uh, they said, in fact, webcam, webcam glimpses of Nessie made up more than half of the 2021-16 sightings. But this year, the only such image accepted was from a watcher in Ireland who saw an unexplained object moving off of the castle, said to be a favorite haunt of the monster, not a monster. So, yeah, I don't agree with them tightening it up. If you're if you're spending hours or even minutes, I don't even care how long you're, you're watching. If you're watching the Nessie webcam and you see Nessie, you should be able to report Nessie. That's how I. That's all I. That's all I know. Look, as the world's first parent influencer, I say they're official, and I'm going to report on them every time. Up next in paranormal news, U.S. militaries report several hundred UFO sightings in 2022, according to the Pentagon. That's right. Don't get too excited. They said over the last six months, the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office has received several hundred new UFO reports from U.S. military personnel. This adds to more than the 140 sightings reported by the military between 2004 and 2021, but they're also saying none of them are alien. They're probably relatively ordinary surveillance drones from China or Russia or airborne clutter like weather balloons. So yeah, just a little bit uh, 10 steps forward and one step back or one step forward and 10 steps back, however you want to word it. But uh, I don't know. I don't buy it. I saw the Tic Tac video. That did not look like a drone to me. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news. This one was sent to me by quite a few people and I thank you for it. 
unknown marine animal washed up on UK beach. A lot of people call it a baby Loch Ness monster, not a monster. It is a really weird looking creature. And I even said, was like, well, I don't know what the hell that thing is, but I I bet you somebody does. And yeah, it turns out it was a, I think it was like a basking shark or turns out to be an actual animal. I'll put it that way. I can't, it doesn't have it in this, um, in this article, but they did identify that baby Loch Ness that's like kind of lying on the beach, sadly. And it is uh, not a Nessie. It is an actual known species. Like I said, I think it's like some kind of shark or something. Anyhow, wasn't Nessie, so moving on. Dog walker spots demon ghost crawling across haunted path in the park. Hannah and Dave Rowett were walking their Labradors through their supposedly haunted forest in Clumber Park, Nottinghamshire, when they came across a spooky figure in their path. The dog walker claimed she captured footage of a demon ghost crawling across the path in the National Trust Country Park. All righty, the 52-year-old quickly pulled out her phone, captured a scary white silhouette crossing the path in front of her as she follows it with a, with a uh, flashlight. Upon watching it, uh, upon watching it back, she turned to Dave, also 52, and said, I've just seen a ghost. All righty, let's watch it. I want to I wanna see it. Where is it? Where's the video? I want to see it. I want to see it. I want to see it. Hello, play. I would like to see it. All right. Well, there's only two. There's two images from the video, and it looks like a like a sloth ghost. Oh, there he goes. All right, here we go. All right. It, I mean, there's definitely something on there. Uh, I don't know what to make of it. I'm going to put this up on the uh, Facebook fan page. It doesn't really move, though. It just kind of, like, it moves across the screen, but the physical, and uh, it, like, doesn't move any, like, features. It doesn't move arms or legs or anything like that, if you know what I mean. Um, I'll put it up on the Facebook fan page. Tell me what you guys think. I don't know. It's something. That's all I can say. All righty, up next in Paranormal News, Possessed Woman, 28, undergoes nine-hour exorcism to rid her of the devil after she, after she attacked Italian priests during confession and started speaking Latin in three different voices. Boy, they better be able to prove that she spoke Latin. As you know, nothing angers me more than people that are quote-unquote possessed, and then they start going like, See, I was speaking Latin. No, you weren't. You were speaking gibberish, and I hate that shit. Like, if it's Latin, cool. Prove that you never spoke Latin before. Don't do like, you know, like, Six Sempris Tyrannis, or something like, you know, like, E Pluribus Unum, or E Pluribus Anus, like, I want real Latin. I want Latin that makes sense to somebody who's possessed by a demon. Uh, let's see. The 28-year-old woman was accompanied by her family members to the Church of St. Mary of Mount Barico in northern Italy at around 11 a.m. on Sunday for confession. But witnesses said the unnamed woman began to scream and swear inside the basilica and spoke in different languages and voices, including Latin. Oh, better be able to prove it. The woman ran through the confession rooms on the ground floor of the church, slapped her mother, <laughs> and attacked the priest running the, running the confession, according to the local news. Uh, let's see. Four friars reportedly intervened, held a nine-hour-long exorcism for the woman, who they claimed was possessed by the devil. The exorcism did not finish until 8.30 p.m. when the woman collapsed and was taken home by her parents and younger brother. Father Giuseppe Bernardi, the exorcist of uh, Mount... Monte Barico, Father Carlo Rosado, and two other brothers were reportedly to have held the have 
who have reported to have held, I get what you're saying, the nine-hour-long exorcism. Some witnesses called local police and ambulance services to alert them to, of the situation, but the authorities were said to have remained outside the church. Father Rosado said it was a real possession. It was only in the evening that the situation was resolved when the girl physically collapsed. The father claimed there are hundreds of similar cases and said that have they have four exorcists, exorcists there to deal with such uh, situations. It's a horribly worded, terribly, terribly written article, but you get the idea. Possessed woman, thankfully, wasn't killed because, you know, quote-unquote actual professional exorcist handled it. All righty, let's take a quick break. I need a quick breather, and we'll be right back with more Paranormal Almanac. Stop, Slaybell, stop. We are back! Alrighty, I wanted to do this one a while ago, obviously, um, but I'm doing it now. On this edition, instead of just talking about like just one place or just one thing or just one cryptid, ooh, I can almost I can almost make the, the sleigh bells ring just by barely tapping my desk. I figured let's talk about just one year, the year 1977, the year that changed Kurt's life. Star Wars had just come out of the theater. Blown my mind as a little kid. The best movie in the world. Uh, Elvis had left the building for good this time. Apple II went on sale. So if you had an Apple II computer, you bought it in 1977. France stopped using the guillotine. Yeah, that's right. France was still killing people with guillotines the year that Star Wars came out. The serial killer clown known as Son of Sam, not clown, the serial killer known as Son of Sam was arrested, which also should be on this episode because that's a cool story. But no, no, no. This episode is about something else bizarre that happened all around the world in 1977. While the aliens were on the screen in Star Wars, people were seeing aliens out and about because for some reason, or maybe just because of Star Wars, I don't know, and Close Encounters, which came out the same year, uh, there was a shit ton of UFO sightings. People had like aliens on the brain. Now, I honestly don't know. Were so many UFO cases reported around the world because of Star Wars and Close Encounters? Let's find out. Spoiler. I, I don't know. Why would I say this without having a resolution for it? I, I don't know. I, I apologize. I, I mean, you you tell me. All right. That's the that's the thing. You know, at the end of the episodes, I usually say, oh, what do you think about, uh, no, no. What I'm going to say this time is, do you think that so many UFOs were sighted around the world in 1977 because of like Star Wars and Close Encounters? Or was there just another, you know, influx of UFOs? They seem to come and go and like ebb and on. 77 seemed to be a huge year for them. And I mean a huge year. All right. The first one is one that I actually talked about a very long time ago. A long, long time ago on a podcast episode far, far away. Now, I'm not going to rehash it, but it did happen in 77. It was one of the biggest UFO stories ever, so I figured it deserves an honorable mention on this episode. I'm talking about February 5th, 1977. Broadhaven and Littlehaven in Pembrokeshire, West Wales. Now, if you're already going like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, Kurt, trust me, you'll, you'll remember this story. 
I'm talking about a group of school children who are playing outside their school when they saw a silver cigar or possibly saucer-shaped UFO. I think I mentioned it on the original episode when I talked about this one, but a lot of people have a hard time with was it cigar-shaped or was it saucer-shaped? Those are two very different shapes. Nah, not not really. Take something saucer-shaped or take like, like, well, what I'm holding, a vitamin water cap. Now, if I hold the cap one way, yep, it's a perfect circle. If I hold the cap on the side, it's just a line. It's just a straight line. So, yeah, people could have seen a cigar shape if they're only seeing the saucer from the side. But if the saucer was dipping or ebbing and awing or they were closer to it, then, yeah, it would look saucer shaped. So a lot of people got hung up about the fact that there were two different UFOs sighted by the school kids and went, well, nope, it's all bullshit. No, that's not necessarily the case. Like I said, these school kids saw a silver cigar or possibly saucer-shaped UFO, and it landed on the ground in a field near the school just outside. Um, like, just outside, like, the, like the, like the playground area. Um, like, where it started to become a, like, wooded area. So the, uh, the craft was, was um, saucer-shaped, it lands, and these silver-suited spacemen get out of the craft. Now, a bunch of students ran inside and told their teachers what they saw, but, of course, teachers didn't believe them, told them all to come in and shut the hell up, continue teaching them outdated things like Columbus discovered America or whatever the UK version of that is, you know, something that's been debunked by now. Anyhow, somehow the kids managed to sit there throughout the rest of the class. Then after school, all all the kids were talking about was what they saw, the UFO, but of course they were. That's the only thing kids were going to be talking about. They told other kids, they told their parents, they told neighbors, basically anybody that would listen. Now, depending on where you get your info, the students or the parents went to the local police and asked that this be investigated. And when the police basically investigated it, they went back to the teacher, they went to the principal, and the principal's like, all right, we got to figure out how to do this kind of scientifically. It was actually kind of smart. So what he did was, Principal sat the students down, listened to their stories, then he separated all of the kids and asked them all involved to draw what they had seen one by one. And he was shocked that the drawings were basically all the same, showing that like saucer-shaped UFO with a dome on top, little men in silver suits. Look, moral of the story, shockingly, sometimes kids, you know, like when they're telling crazy stories, well, those crazy stories turn out to be true. And in this play, in this case, it definitely was. They really thought they were going to catch kids lying if they separated them all out. And all it did was prove to them that these kids all saw the same thing. All right, in that same area, obviously still in 1977, another sighting happened at Havenfort Hotel. <clears throat> now, this one was located on the headland between Broadhaven and Little Haven. I have no idea what that means, but... It seemed like an important location, so I thought I'd add it. Now, at the time, the hotel and the home was owned and run by Rosa Granville. And in 2016, her daughter Francine said, My mom Rosa was a no-nonsense sort of woman. This was very much out of her character. She was not the type of person to believe in aliens. She said, It was early morning and mom was woken up by a buzzing buzzing noise, and she thought she'd left the gas boiler on. Once downstairs, she realized the noise was from outside, so she looked out 
and saw about 100 feet away an oval object she could only describe as a spacecraft with lights slowly, um, with, with like lights on it. Oh, I see. With lights on it slowly landing and then two figures emerged. Yep, you guess it, in silver suits. This wasn't the exact same sighting that school children had. It was just in the same area around that same time. She said she was terrified because the figures, although reminiscent of men, had exceptionally long arms and legs. Their heads were covered by helmets. She called them creatures. Francine said that they were the unexplained craft. Where the unexplained craft landed, it left a small crater in the ground, which had a ridge around the outside that she says was still there decades later. She's like, it's now hidden underneath undergrowth, but if you were to clean up that undergrowth, like get some landscapers in there, you'll still see that ring, the crater where the the UFO landed. Now, Rosa said in a subsequent letter that she wrote to her MP, Nicholas Edwards, that the incident left her feeling, quote, agitated and disturbed and not the least bit desirous of another encounter. One sighting of the silver uh, figures... That's weird. That's bizarre. Yep, get it. Two sightings, even weirder. But get this. A lot of these tall, silver-suited humanoids were seen around that same time in that same area. We go over to Ripperton's Farm. Ripperton Farm, owned by Billy and Pauline Coombs. They were watching the TV at about 10 p.m., and suddenly they were terrified by the aspect of a seven-foot-tall, silver-suited being with a black face standing at the window looking in. The top of his head was above the height of the top of the window. So they call the police. Police come over. They found that there was a rosebush in the garden, and it was scorched. They said some kind of heat source had scorched their rosebush. Then... Another time, Pauline, her mom, and her children said that they were chased by an orb of light while in the car traveling home that resulted in the car completely cutting out, going dead, in that same general area of Milford Haven. Then, Cyril John, who was a local counselor, said he was getting up early to go to the train to take the train to London, and he noticed a light shining in his bedroom window. He said when he looked out, he saw a gray egg-shaped object with a bright orange light on the top of it about 60 meters away from him. The other object he saw was a seven or eight foot tall humanoid type figure who was floating in the air like a parachutist about 30 feet away and wore a, yep, silver gray boiler suit and it was motionless before both slowly drifting away. He said surely that would have been a hard bit to hoax and adds that uh, it adds credence to the other sightings of all of these tall humanoids in that same area. In all, around that area, at that time, 21 reports of mainly a cigar-shaped object hovering in the sky happened from Bridgend to Blackwood, Penarth to Pembroke, all in that same area, all in 1977, all by people that were not connected. Bizarre, right? Like I said, for whatever reason, in that time, and I spoke about that first one, the, the kids, but I never spoke about the other sightings that happened. And sure, I thought maybe there'd be one or two other sightings of that exact same landing. No, there were 21 other sightings in that area at different times, all around the same time. All righty, now, early debunk time in this episode. Not everything that happened in 1977 was extraterrestrials. 
Yep. Like I said, there were a lot of UFOs that were seen, but some of them had earthly origins like this one. Oh, that's a commercial. Not like that one. Like this one. We are opening the Fox in News Vault. It's an archive of stories from years past, and today we're talking about aliens. We have received many reports of UFO sightings over Mobile the past few weeks, so we sent Bill Capo to find the little green men and report back. Every time this rather amazing aircraft has appeared in the skies of Mobile, Channel 10 News and the police department have been flooded with phone calls from people reporting UFO sightings. But, as it turns out, the whole thing is nothing more than the latest in advertising gimmicks. The UFO is really a small plane which has a light display mounted under the wings. The plane is based in Pensacola, advertises over most of the northwest Florida and Alabama coastal areas. It is owned by Moonglows Incorporated, an Atlanta-based firm. The sign is longer than the wings and can produce letters and simple figures with a small computer. One of the reasons it is mistaken for a UFO is that the plane cruises at only about 40 miles per hour. Flying over Mobile, he uh, centers the flight over heavy traffic areas, the major shopping centers here, the expressway, the uh, ballparks where kids are out playing baseball, whatever, and flies with several different messages in one night for about three or four hours. What is it that makes these kind of flights unique? Well, it's very different. A lot of people haven't seen it, especially from this area. They get a, a big charge out of reading it and they think it's a lot of fun. And they remember what they read. One final note, from a distance, the advertising plane's sign resembles closely a slowly revolving object. And that is perhaps the reason so many people have run to their phones to report they have seen Martians in the skies above Mobile. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Again, it's 1977. You look up, you see something that looks like a rotating object of lights in the sky. Yeah, it's kind of freaky. That actually kind of happened. That almost that same kind of thing happened. I don't think it was in 1977, but it was definitely when I was a kid. Um, my dad got home from work and he was like, hey, come outside and look, there's a UFO outside. And we're like, what the hell? And we walked outside. My dad's not into UFOs at all. We go outside and sure enough, there was a UFO in the sky. It was lit up. It was silent. There were, you know, seemed to be rotating. But what it turned out to be was the Goodyear blimp just on its way down to, uh, I don't know, Tiger Stadium. How the, how the hell would I know as a kid? I wasn't flying the damn thing. All I know is it was freaky, but. After a second, even me as a kid, I was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's the Goodyear blimp. I, I know what that is. So all I wanted to say is basically I was smarter than people in Mobile, Alabama in 1977. And, and I'd like to think I still am. Can't prove it, but I'd like to think I still am. Already another debunk for this episode. Well, a, a debunk as far as I'm concerned. It's still talked about as one of the best UFO incidents ever. For this one, we go over to Russia... September 20th, 1977. It became it became known as the, oh, and I already forgot. I, I learned how to say it, but then, you know, the COVID killed me. Uh, the uh, Petrozadik, Petro, Petro Zavadsk. I don't know. Petro Zavadsk phenomenon. It doesn't matter. It's Russian. Just look it up. It's it's P-E-T and then just a whole lot of letters. Um, it's a, it's known as the, uh, Russia missile phenomena. It's crazy as hell. I will tell you that 
In the very early morning hours of September 20th, 1977, eyewitnesses reported an amethyst color object with pulsating tentacles of light reaching down from the craft to the city below. It was like widely reported the following day in newspapers. In Helsinki, many eyewitnesses said they saw a glowing ball. And in Turku, Turku? Sure. Two men reported spotting a spinning object similar to a life buoy, but up in the sky, obviously. In Denmark, pilots flying over Copenhagen saw a glowing object they couldn't explain. So what exactly was it? A UFO? Giant space jellyfish? Well, despite, again, what a lot of ufologists and podcasters say, this one actually has a human origin. It was actually the launch of a Soviet spy satellite named Cosmos 955, or 955. It was launched from the Plesetsk Cosmodrome, situated about 350 kilometers east of that town, Petrazdovos. Petraz... Petrazavatsk. Petrazavatsk. I think that is that, actually. All right, so what people were seeing was the Cosmo 955's booster contrails, and it was actually reported by the Western press that the same day, you know, because they were keeping an eye on what the hell the Soviet Union was, like, launching into space. So they were keeping an eye on it, and they were like, oh, look, they're launching something. Wonder what it is. Probably a spy satellite. Yep, sure enough was. But... The reports were, you know, like suppressed in the Soviet Union, like, you know, everything else. And so people just kept started talking and talking, going to town to town, saying that they saw this weird tentacly pulsating light thing up in the sky. And the story kind of took off on its own. Like, like I said, if you've ever seen like, um, like a SpaceX, SpaceX launch or other satellite launches, which I have out here in California, and they kind of do look like a space jellyfish or, or something kind of pulsating. You can look them up online on TikTok. I know there are a bunch of videos of it. And like people that'll be driving and they'll, they'll stop their car because it's bizarre to watch a satellite launch or a big rocket launch. But, you know, I guess if you didn't know what you were looking at and your government was just like, nope, nothing to see here. We didn't launch anything. Sure. I could see why all of these people in all these towns you know, drinking vodka, telling these stories about this UFO they saw. And like I said, the stories, they they grew and they grew and they grew over the years, you know, kind of like they do online now. Uh, one newspaper reported at the time that the UFO was, quote, as big as a football field and that the UFO's rays had drilled holes into the pavement and through windshields of house or through the windows of houses. A doctor actually reported that his ambulance went out of control when the UFO appeared. Well, yeah, you were probably watching it and not the road, and you crashed your ambulance. Um, basically, people in the Soviet Union at the time even thought it was an American nuclear attack. That's true. They actually did. They really thought they were under a nuclear attack by us, by the Americans. Now, since it wasn't going away, the Soviets were like, all right, we got to figure out what to do to kind of clamp down on this. So they did stories with scientists to assure the public that, you know, like, all is well, but all that does is rile people up. Why are they telling me all as well? What, what is going on? I thought it was well until they told me that. Now I'm afraid. And they were like, um, all right, it was a rocket stage burning up. The visibility depends on the material of the Sputnik is what Vladimir Kratt, director, director of the Polkovo Observatory, stated around that time. He said, Sputniks can explode on reentry sometimes, and the products of the explosion can remain in the air for a long, long time. Well, 
Then they started saying it was other things. When they became apparent that it was not convincing, hi Rum, I love you too. When it was not convincing everyone, anyone, they were like, all right, all right, let's try something else out. So they had a new explanation. Um, M. Dmitriev, who is doctor of chemical scientists, that's his sciences, doctor of chemical scientists, that was his actual title. He said, the phenomenon was due to the formation of an air glow zone in the atmosphere, a so-called chemiluminescence zone. He then explained that chemiluminescence was how like nitrous oxide pollution from factories back in the day, it, it, it was kind of like an aurora borealis, but it was caused by nitrous oxide pollution. So they were like, okay, so was it that or was it, you know, the Sputnik rocket thingy? Well, now, then the Soviet Union said, all right, we're going to do a press junket. And they, the press issued yet another explanation and said, no, no, no. What, that, what you guys saw actually was physical changes in the upper atmosphere, such as geomagnetism. Basically, they were desperately trying to cover up that it was a spy satellite, but the story kept going, you know, like crazier and crazier, and it kept spreading more and more until today, some people still say, well, the Russians kept changing their story, so obviously it's a UFO cover-up. But Kurt here, sorry, it was a spy satellite. It was reported by the by the mid like by the American press, by all of the um, all the people that were like the Western press that were watching the Soviet Union. They actually reported about it at that time. We know exactly what it was, and sadly, it wasn't anything else. But again. There are a lot of podcasters, which is hilarious to me, and a lot of um, press people online that say this is one of the biggest UFO cover-ups since Roswell. Some of them even call it the Russian Roswell. Nope, sorry. Unlike Roswell, which I did think was a cover-up, this one, we know what it was. We know what it was exactly when it happened, right, Rum? Yeah, she even knows what it was. All right, like, uh, let's, let's keep going on. For next one, let's go to... Arsipany, Troy Hill, New Jersey. And for this one, I decided to do it a little different because, you know, talking wins me a lot, as you can already tell, I'm sure. I figured, let's listen to the police who investigated this UFO story themselves. Now, seeing about five minutes, a little bit less. I'm with Lieutenant John Walsh of the Arsipany, Troy Hills Police Department. Lieutenant Walsh was the desk officer on duty the evening of July 4th when the UFO incident which occurred in the Persephone area was brought to the attention of this department. Lieutenant Walsh, could you tell us as best as you can recall exactly what happened on that evening? Well, I came on duty at uh, 12 o'clock for the 12 to 8 shift. At approximately 12.05, I began having uh, troubles with the radio transmissions from headquarters to the cars, from the cars back to headquarters. I would uh, transmit a, uh, a message to the car, and it would go out, and all of a sudden I would get a, a very strong hum from the radio coming back to headquarters. Later on, approximately half past 12, a male and a female came into headquarters and reported that they had sighted an unidentified flying object uh, in the area of Persephone. Uh, they, they walked up to me and they uh, s said that they would like, if possible, for someone to 
go into it or delve into it a little bit to see if they uh, could get some kind of something or someone to uh, give a little bit of credit to what they had possibly seen. As you're probably aware that during that uh, same time frame on that evening, the uh, Denville Police Department also reported a unusual type of radio disturbance and in fact did dispatch a patrolman and found that his report and the description that he gave us very closely blends with that which was reported to your department on that evening. Yes, I believe that was a patrolman McConnell. When I was given the call by the dispatcher, I was in the center of town. I proceeded down Bloomfield Avenue to Route 46. The intersection, I had a red light and I began observing the area of the Arrow Diner, which is where I was you know, sent, the call I was sent on. I pull out what I did. I observed uh, three lights, one light, uh, one solid light, another solid light, and a rotating light on the bottom. Uh, there was really no structure to be seen. They were just like um, suspended out in the middle of the Flintlock restaurant parking lot. Then it began to gain height and headed in the easterly direction up over the trees and again it stayed for a few seconds in that position uh, over the top of the building and then it just went directly down. Now, I proceeded up 46 and I was unable to find anything. I really thought that it went down behind Denville Boat and Sport but if you look there is a leg back there. George and I met at the Persephone headquarters and went out to the airport at Caldwell Field to interview a pilot. He told us that he had taken his aircraft up and closed in on this object and attempted to get closer to it for a better observation, at which time the object took off at a high rate of speed. Uh, he couldn't calculate the exact speed, but he did indicate that it was extremely fast. Now, the route that he took us uh, also collaborates the uh, route that the original uh, people had reported to us. Let me start by saying that, you know, some months ago, I became a believer in UFOs. Until that time, I really didn't believe they did exist. But I would say that since we've had the sighting locally, and since it's been documented by our police department, I think that our chief and our police department has uh, initiated a program of making the citizenry and the police within our county aware. And I think that uh, it goes some credit to Chief Fox and the Deputy Chief Denny. I think that uh, the average police officer is in the position to uh, report these type of incidents uh, with credibility and accuracy. And subsequently, the uh, institution of this program, whereby the uh, Morris County Chiefs of Police Association, together with the Sheriff's Department right. of Morris County, all will right, right. be putting on a one-day right. seminar. Okay. Um, they, boy, man, it's amazing. You have the best topic in the world, UFOs. You actually saw UFO. It changed your life. You're in the police, and yet listening to them, just like, oh, my goodness. Okay, I get it. I get it. You saw a UFO. You went over there. You went behind it, went behind a building. You went and checked it out with the chief of police. Nobody can explain what it was. It was silent. It was definitely not of this earth. And even still, they just didn't give it enough excitement for me. Like, cool story. I love hearing from people, especially from, like, police and military, around the time that it actually happened. And that one was right when it happened. Again, Arsippany, Troy Hills, New Jersey, 1977. A 
bunch of people saw this one. This was another sighting that doesn't get enough news or press or however you want to say it. No one talks about it enough. But this one had a ton of people sighting it, um, seeing it, including police officers and the chief of police who said that up until that point, he never, ever would have guessed like that he would believe in UFOs. He was not a UFO believer at even remotely. And there you go. He's not only a believer, he went on camera to talk about it. Nowadays, that's not a big deal. 1977, that's a really, really big deal for police to risk their jobs, their integrity to go on camera and talk about a UFO sighting. I thought it was kind of cool. All righty, let's focus on just August for a bit because August of 1977, there were a shit ton of UFO sightings. Now, the first one, Sierra Madre Mountains in Mexico. Now, this one technically started on July 29th, but the entire month of August, a search happened about it. On July 29th, 1977, Miguel Cruz, who said he owned a small plot of land outside the village of Opala in the northern part of the Mexican state of Puebla, he said he got up, had a small breakfast, left his house to start his day, and as soon as he started walking, he began to hear loud thundering sounds overhead. He said, I look up and I saw these burning pieces falling from the sky. They looked very hot. He said that one piece fell very close and I even thought I was gonna, it was going to hit my head. When I determined that the piece cooled off, I actually picked it up to look at it. He said the red hot metal even damaged a concrete floor when it fell from the sky. When the police was, when the piece was cold enough, he actually took it to the church of, I don't know if it's Hopala or Jopala, but I think it's Hopala, J-O-P-A-L-A, to give it to the priest. And the priest was like, I don't want that. Give it to somebody else. So this guy, Miguel, goes over to the municipal president, Don Antonio Hernandez Garcia, who said he kept it until he could figure out, you know, like, what to do, what do I do with it? He's like, I'll hold on to it until I can figure out what to do with it. I don't really want this, but I will. Now, other people from the town and nearby towns began finding other fragments of metal, too. According to the Mexican publication at the time, an apple seller from San Francisco, oh, uh, Ixta, comma, Ixtalan, I don't know. It's, it's somewhere around. There's an apple seller from that town. He went into towns and villages to sell his produce, and he said he saw what, the, uh, what crashed and blew apart. He said, I saw it up in the sky before it blew apart. I watched it actually crash, and it was a flying saucer. As soon as word spread, the metal was like from like a flying saucer. The town like started telling everybody, you know, that's a flying saucer. That metal piece is flying saucer. Basically, they all went out and started searching for the metal to sell. Unfortunately, no one knows where those metal fragments are. But they, I, you know, you have to expect... There was a big police action, military action, and American government action in that town all through August. So my guess is that they went and confiscated all those pieces of metal, just like in Roswell, but there have to be more out there. It went all through not only the, the town, but the jungle surrounding the town. There's got to be pieces of this metal still out there to be found. Like if you were telling me, 
Kurt, where should I go to try and find a piece of a UFO wreckage? Roswell? Nah, don't go to Roswell. People have been scouring Roswell for decades, and the government did a damn good job cleaning it up. But this place, out in the jungle, overgrown, I bet money there are still pieces of whatever crashed out there in the jungle to be found. Now, it wasn't just people either. The crash was also seen on radar on the morning of July 29th, 1977. A radar station in the Pacific coastal town of Zia-Tawatneo tracked an unknown object headed to the northeast. Later, the Benito Juarez International Airport in Mexico City picked up the same blip on their radar. In the air that morning, the crew of Ariel Nies Argentina's Flight 371, flying their Boeing 707 over the countryside of Oaxaca, said that they had seen an object in the sky too. That's over Oaxaca. Then the airport control tower confirmed their sighting as well. The UFO was even caught on film. That's right, Mexican film director Abel Salazar heard that there was an unusual object in the sky. Now, he was on location filming the movie Picardia Picardia Mexicana. Now, he instructed his cameraman to point their cameras upward. All cameramen, point them upwards. And on film... The UFO appears in a very large, like, you ever see, like, the Columbia explosion, sadly, the, the space shuttle Columbia when it exploded? It was, like, just, like, like a sparkler of debris coming down. Well, that's what this looks like on film. Now, many of the movie crew just assumed they were filming a comet or something like that. But by the time the UFO reached Puebla, eyewitnesses reported three objects overhead because it was breaking up so badly. So whatever it was, it was big, it was moving slower, and it wasn't like a comet or or meteorite. Whatever it was was big enough and breaking up enough again, <clears throat> just like the Space Shuttle Columbia when it broke up. It was breaking off in large chunks just like this UFO, but this one happened in 1977. So for me... That's corroboration that we were watching a craft breakup. Because how would somebody in 1977 know how to film or fake that over the sky and have a billion people basically on the ground watching it, filming it, seeing it happen at different locations? Something big, something man, not man-made, but something not natural, not like a meteorite, broke up over the skies. And again, when it fell... It left molten hot um, metal pieces, fragments, that actually scorched earth and cement and roofs. Now, the first formal investigation was made by reporters Fernando J. Teles, Fausto Rosales, and Pablo Ortega, and also author Alfonso Salazar. Now, Mendoza, who would, who would eventually write a book about the incident titled the UFO crash in Puebla. He said over the next few months, the investigators made 13 expeditions to different points in what they called Zone A and Zone B. Now he called Zone A the initial site that metal came raining down on people and Zone B, the town of Filomino Mata. Now they investigated multiple other sites based on eyewitness testimony as well, including rugged mountains, 
and jungle areas. Again, places where I don't care how how much of a fine-tooth comb you go over it, you're going to miss scraps of metal. Now, the team, this team, these reporters and that author, said that they themselves found scraps of metal and recorded eyewitness testimony from all zones. The team of reporters actually took one of the debris samples to a lab, but when they did it, they didn't inform the lab of what this piece of metal was. They just went, all right, here's a piece of metal. The metallurgist who tested the metal piece came up with something weird, though. He said it was an extremely durable steel, silicon, chromium alloy that was very close to an alloy of Spanish origin used to manufacture high-resistant industrial springs. Now, the metallurgist said it was the first time they had seen something like that in the form of a sheet, and they called it, quote, a rare piece for a rare use. Now, there is one possible explanation. On July 17th, Now, again, July 29th is when this stuff started coming down. But a possible, possible explanation. On July 17th, 1977, Soviet Union again launching the Cosmo 929 satellite from Kazakhstan. They think the third stage of the rocket that carried the satellite might have reentered the Earth's atmosphere on July 29th and could be what rained down on the people. Then there's this grain of salt eyewitness story with very few details, no corroboration at all. A female American graduate student who was in the area doing field research when the UFO crashed near her. She went over to the crash site and said a small group, a group of small beings emerged, immobilized her, took her aboard. The woman's boyfriend was a U.S. Marine, but he was not with her. Boom, that's it. Just some random story about a random American who said that she was? She watched the UFO crash, some small beings came out, they immobilized her and took her on board. Now, no names, no nothing, concrete, so again, big grain of salt. For, but here's another one, same kind of thing as far as I'm concerned. A woman in a village claimed that she used the bright red blood of the dead extraterrestrials in the paints that she uses to decorate her pottery. Sure. This one seems easy enough to prove. You buy a piece of her pottery that she says uses alien blood paint, have it analyzed, boom, done. Then there's this one that just has to be true. The aliens survived the crash unharmed, and one of them joined a soccer match in one of the local towns and used their mastery of anti-gravity techniques to do unimaginable things with a soccer ball to ensure a victory for their team. Look, why that last one wasn't made into a Disney movie in the 80s is beyond me, but... Get rid of all of these batshit crazy grain of salt stories from eyewitnesses. Get rid of all of that. You're telling me that our government, the U.S. government, the Mexican government, went through for a full month, searched and took every scrap of metal they could find, knowing that it was a Cosmo 929 satellite, the the third stage of a rocket, they wouldn't give a shit about a third stage of a rocket. Something else happened there. The fact that people saw a saucer, a flying saucer breaking up, that doesn't sound like the third stage of a rocket. If they said they saw something cigar-shaped slowly breaking up, sure, maybe. But also, the third stage of a rocket that carried a satellite. Now, again... I'm no rocket expert. I'm no rocket scientist, but uh, 
Even in 1977, people would know enough of what a rocket looks like. And I can't imagine that it breaks up the way that the Space Shuttle Columbia would break up to the point where no one would recognize any of the pieces. Even, even the Columbia. There were huge chunks of the Columbia that was very obviously a space shuttle after the fact. I don't know. I call bullshit on the fact that, again, this is just, you know, it's just me. And why would I say one is definitely a rocket, even though that one was definitely a rocket in, that they saw over Russia. That's definitely a rocket launch. They didn't see a UFO crashing on that one. But on this one, I don't know. To me, again, if you were to say, where should people go to look for crashed UFOs? This would be one of the places I would send somebody. Get yourself a bunch of people with a bunch of metal detectors. Go out there and try and find these pieces of metal. And you'd be able to prove it pretty quickly. Was it part of a rocket or was it part of a UFO? All righty, let's move on to the Ukraine. August 77, still. The banks of the Dnieper River. Dnieper River? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's in the Ukraine. I've never been there. A 39-year-old man encountered several aliens ranging from 1.6 meters to 3 meters in height. He said they had a stumpy build, light pink skin, very flat noses with nostrils sharp, sharply turned up. He said their eyes were almost human-like. They were dressed in a dull gray, tight-fitting overalls with dark covering cloaks over their shoulders. Um, Kurt here. So let me, let me read these again. About one and a half meters tall, Stumpy build, light pink skin, very flat noses, nostrils sharply turned, wearing dull gray tight-fitting overalls with dark covering cloaks over their shoulders. Um, Yeah, this guy's describing pigs in space. You know the Muppet Show sketch from back in the 70s? This is 77, come on. Anyhow, he said they could smile and possessed a sense of humor. Yep, pigs in space. Uh, Communication was both telepathy and a brief time by voice. He was taken inside an egg-shaped object, no less than 10 meters in length. The door of the object opened up like an elevator. A bright white light surrounded the craft. Inside, he could see a control panel and a large screen. He said that he was transported aboard a mothership shaped like an L that was orbiting Earth. Now, the large ship had numerous portholes. He was then transported to their planet. The landscape of the alien planet was described as deserted. The buildings resembled shiny, polished blocks of some sort of yellowish plastic. He said he was paralyzed for some time, and most of his memory was erased. Then, Kurt here, I assume a bear came out and told some bad jokes while two old guys insulted him relentlessly from, like, this booth in the the balcony. Look, it's 77, August of 1977. This guy got drunk or high or something and was watching... Pigs in space. He was watching the Muppet Show, and and he he dreamt this. I'm sorry, but that's that's just pigs in space. All righty, let's move past the pigs in space to yep, August '77. This one in Colorado, James Lemming encountered a large silver blue object while driving. He said he was taken on board and met four large beings. Physical effects including feeling a mild tingling in the temples, a rush of giddiness. Severe pain akin to an electric shock through his neck at the base of his head and a discoloration of the iris in his left eye. 
Alrighty, for a second it was sounding like a great visit, then it took a dark turn. Now, I tried to find any interviews with him or even photos of him and his funky Bowie-like left eye, but nothing online, which, as you know, is a red flag for me, so let's move on. Let's uh, see, Scarborough, Ontario. Here's the report given. I did have a sighting back in August. I think it was August as it was very, very hot. And the year, I think, was 77 at 11.30 p.m. in Scarsborough, Ontario, around York Mills Road and Roy Wood Drive. My sister and I went for a walk at about 11.30 p.m. And about five minutes later, as we were in the small park, uh, there was when we saw a UFO. It was right on top of us. Yes, right on top of us was a saucer-shaped UFO with gray colors like orange, green, red, etc. The bottom of the craft had many panels, and on each panel had a color. We stood there in awe as a military helicopter went right by it, as if they didn't even see it or was trying to take a better look. And yes, it was huge, but magnificent. Then, all of a sudden, it went straight up in the air with just like a strange kind of wind noise. And as it went up high, it seemed to just miss an airplane, then a zigzag while moving upward at a very, very fast speed, then darted left and was gone. Almost like catch-me-if-you-can playful behavior. It moved pretty darn fast, if you ask me. I'm not sure how long all this took or how it snuck up on us, but time did seem to be moving very, very slowly. I ran back home to call the police, and they asked me questions like, how much alcohol or drugs did I take? Of course, none. Then, within 20 minutes after my call, the Air Force was all over that sky, literally, and they're saying it was an air balloon. No way it was a UFO sighting. I have also had other sightings, all in Toronto or Ontario, uh, again, with the same craft at five years later, again sneaking up on me and many, many others from a farther distance and more than one craft at a time. And that about does it. You know, I'm going to end it here just because I'm winded. We hit about an hour. So I'm going to say, let's call this one a win while I still, uh, while I still have some voice left in me and I still have some air in my lungs. Uh, that about does it for this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac. I, uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping the gun. I'm supposed to ask you guys questions. What do you guys think? Was it Pigs in Space? Yeah, it was Pigs in Space. That was a good sketch, by the way. I used to love The Muppet Show. Still do. I don't know why I said used to. I love The Muppet Show. Um, so what do you think? What the hell was the deal with 1977? Why were so many people seeing so many UFOs all over the world, all around the world? Um, hope you guys like this one. I know it wasn't 100% for me, but... Um, I'm back, and don't worry. I'm, I'm going to do even more episodes. I'm going to hopefully get another episode in before Christmas. Uh, that's my goal, anyway. Um, I already know what I want to do it on, so it's just a matter of doing it. Thank you to everybody that reached out to me. I love you all. Appreciate it. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sam. Again, this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac COVID Edition. I'm still out of bed, so it must be getting me. I've got to work. I've got to work. I've got to work. Uh...